Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Take out your Bibles as we continue our journey here through the book of Hebrews. We finally come to really what is the, the last and, and in some ways for us the most important section. It's the part that we call practical application. Um, most of us here in the sanctuary don't come from a Jewish background and so all of this leading up to this point has that flavor and has that Uh, understanding blended in with it, very important for us because the backdrop is the law. And now we're changing to the real issue, and that's the issue of faith. Faith, when we talk about faith, if you were to really look up uh, the Hebrew definition for it, it simply means to act with firmness. So when we say faith, we almost always think of something that's really kind of in the ether, it's, it's not tangible, and yet we're going to find in chapter 11 that faith has substance and faith has what we would call evidence. Faith is real. And so as we come to this final section of the book of Hebrews, the issue from here to the end is going to be your faith lived out in this world. How does our faith affect our living? And so the focus today of verses 19 to 25 is faith-filled living. Now, we just were led in worship by a bunch of very gifted musicians. I can tell you they did not get that way by simply knowing about music. They didn't become skilled musicians by knowing there's an electric guitar or a bass or a keyboard or drums or using that voice that they were given at birth didn't come naturally, in in essence, to most people. They have to practice. And in the very same way, faith is not just simply knowledge of God. It is the practice of living for God. It is something that does work, according to James. Faith actually works. And so that is our focus, faith-filled living. Would you join me? We'll pray, and we'll pick up here in verse 19. Father, thank you for the role of faith in our lives. Lord, it's not just knowledge of things that might be. It is taking that which we believe and putting it to practice. And so I pray, Lord, if there's someone today who's struggling with their faith, that you'd strengthen them. If there's someone here today who needs to know you by faith, that they would be saved. And God, that you would speak to us through your word powerfully, encourage your church, build us up, and use us, Lord, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19 here in Hebrews chapter 10, And therefore, brethren... So this begins the final section. Therefore, again, always look at that word exactly as it says, what's it there for? Why is the therefore there is a good way to look at that word. 
Anytime you see it in English, it should cause you to look back. Well, therefore, all these things we've learned, that Jesus is simply greater, that the new covenant is greater than the old covenant, that we have a high priest who now sits in heaven making intercession for us, that we're no longer bound under the law, we're guided by faith, that we live in grace. The therefore is pointing back towards the insufficiency of the law to save and towards the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the author of the new covenant, the one who saved us by grace through faith. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So now you can see why it says, therefore. They were looking back at the temple. They were still staring at the temple. It was still on the temple mount. There was a holy of holies there. The holiest of all. A place that the average Jewish person would not ever get to go. They could now enter into the most holy place. They could literally draw near to the creator of the universe. And so can we, by a new and a living way. You remember that John, as he recorded the words of Jesus, I am the way, amen, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He is literally the living way, and he's the only way to God the Father. He is the way. And so that living way is a person. That person happens to be the only son of God, who also himself is God. And so it's pointing towards the blood of Jesus Christ that's now made a living way, which he consecrated through the veil, that is his flesh. The chastisement for our peace, Isaiah said, was placed upon him by his stripes. We are healed. This beautiful picture of all that the Jewish people had been spoken to by the prophets. They were fully understanding what was being said here. Oh, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. This is what the prophets spoke about. Having a high priest over the house of God. Whenever you see the word, and so many I remember growing up, it's like there was a Bethel Baptist church on every single corner in America. Bethel means house of God. The house of God. It's a wonderful name for a church because that's actually who we are. We are the house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever God's people gathered, that is Bethel. It's the house of God. That's who we are now. Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of, there it is, circle it, faith. You are saved because you have faith in the only begotten Son of God. You're not saved because you have knowledge. You're not saved because you did something. You're saved by the faith that was given to you as a gift to believe that God did through his Son what you could not ever do for yourself through the law. This beautiful picture of the new covenant alive in our lives, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What you were not before you now are because of the blood of the Lamb. What you could never be by your own merit, you are by his merit. 
It's an incredible gift of life that we have, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We now have this beautiful life of faith. It's not a life of works. Though my faith absolutely works, and in fact, one can say if one doesn't have works in one's life, then one may not be of the faith. But make sure you get the faith part first. Without faith, we're going to find it's impossible to please God. Faith comes before works. Let us hold fast a marvelous nautical term. That means to grab the rails and grab the sails and grab the lines and make sure the ship is set. And don't give up. When the waves come, hold fast. When the wind is blowing, when the hurricane is ripping, hold fast in faith. To the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, church. Jesus is faithful. You're going to make it. It's a Thomas the Tank Engine thing. Going to make it, going to make it, going to make it, going to make it. You're going to make it because of Jesus. Amen? He's faithful. This is not some ethereal thing to where he says, well, I kind of hope so. No, he is faithful. And you're going to make it. He's faithful to get us home. The promises he made are yes and amen. They are sure. Don't miss what's being said here. Because the devil rips off way too many believers into thinking it's all on you. You have a duty to the king. You have obligations to the Lord. You are also to be faithful. But the faithfulness that gets you to heaven is the faithfulness of Jesus. It's not your own. You should be faithful. And by his grace, we can be faithful. But it is Christ's faithfulness to go to the cross in your place that actually secures your eternity. He is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And here it is, the most misquoted verse for the last two years that perhaps exists in all the Bible. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some. This is not about how you get together as, as a church. It's that you get together as the church. Notice it doesn't say as long as you don't have masks on there. Or if you do have masks on, or if your county is one way or versus... This is not about how we gather. This is about that we should, as the church, gather together. Which is exactly what we're doing right now. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day. Circle it. The day. The day of the Lord. The very end, the end of the age of grace, the final day approaching. For the church then, they would wait another 2,000 years and they still wouldn't get to the day yet because we're, we're alive and the day has not yet come. But that day is a whole lot closer. Amen? So the day is far spent now. 
And it's getting very close. And so here we have this beautiful section that draws us back to what Jesus provided for the church. And church is not defined by the number of people that attend a specific group in a specific place. We happen to be what the world calls a mega church. We're a church that has many thousands of people that call this home. But that's not what defines a church. In fact, here in America, according to the Barna Group, the average church is less than 100 people. The church is not a specific size. It isn't a specific shape. It isn't in a specific kind of building. You don't have to have a cross on the roof. You don't have to have stained glass. You do not have to have a sanctuary such as this one. The church isn't about buildings. The church is about people. And wherever God's church is gathered together, that's church. You're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints, the people that make up the church. And that can be done in an awful lot of ways. I've done church on rocks. I've done church under trees. I've done church on a boat. I've done church in the mountains. I've done church in the desert. I've done church with people who you kind of, it's like, I'm not sure you're getting it, but this guy that's translating, I hope he's saying what I'm saying right now. I've been part of all kinds of different, I've been in churches so hot that you all would run for the hills. I've also taught when it's below zero. I've taught in thunderstorms. I've taught outside under verandas. I've taught under tents. And every single one of those places was a church, a part of the body of Christ, and every one of them was beautiful, even though they were all so unique. Church is not about a style. Church is about the people of God gathering together. Wherever that happens, that's church. That's what we're not to forsake. It was by faith that heaven's door was actually open. Notice the confidence to enter into the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. How was the door opened? Jesus opened the door. Amen? He literally tore the veil. He shed his blood so that no more blood is necessary of bulls and goats. This is a practical way for us to look at faith. This Greek word that's used here means to have authorized access. It's the very same thing if you were to go, say you went to a Hollywood production studio and you went to the back lot. If you have an all-access pass, you can go anywhere on the set. You can go behind the scenes. You can go to where the dressing rooms are. You can go to the catering area. It's a very specific pass that allows you access to everywhere. In Christ Jesus, you have an all-access pass to the heavenlies. You can go anywhere. You're in. There's no door closed to you. Your Father's door is constantly and always open. It's no longer once a year on Yom Kippur. It's all day, every day that you have access to God the Father through Christ the Son. Don't miss this. Because under the Old Testament, the veil said, stay out. And so Jesus said, that's not what the Father and I want. We're going to tear that from top to bottom. 
He opened the veil so that you can now enter in. Church, you have access to God the Father through Christ the Son. Without the living way, without Jesus, you still don't have access. Oh, God can still hear the prayers of everyone. But those who are in Christ Jesus, who have accepted the sacrifice that was made for them by Christ on Calvary's cross, you have received the all-access pass. You have asked for the way, and it's been granted to you. That's why the early church was actually, one of the names for it was the way. They were known as people of the the way. Why? Because under the Old Testament, there was no way. In essence, the veil stood in the temple saying, there's no way. Stay out. Be gone. Run along. Can't come in. See you later. And Jesus says, it's open. The way's open, amen? It's one of the most beautiful things in the New Testament. Why Paul writes so eloquently about it. You ladies are probably about there in Ephesians chapter 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I went from being dead in my trespasses and sins to alive in Christ. That's by faith. That isn't because I'm a naturally good person. It's not because I'm compassionate. It's not because I've given money to the World Wildlife Federation. It isn't because I've saved whales. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I've worked in the soup kitchen. It's not because I've helped with people who have handicaps. It's none of those things. And I've done all those things, by the way. I love whales. But whales can't save me. I find great joy in helping people who can't help themselves, but that can't save me. I want to see people who are hungry fed, but that can't save me. The veil is not open because of good works. The veil is open because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the veil's open, church. That's the new and the living way. You see, that door that was previously closed now is absolutely open. These are amazing words to me. You know why they're amazing to me? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But I'm a saved sinner. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. But I have a Savior. I'm a sinner who can't save himself, but Jesus saved me. So these words are precious to me. Because that way I couldn't blast open with a nuke. You would think, oh, it's just a curtain. Well, the problem was if you opened the curtain, you died. 
So it wasn't really a good thing to force the curtain open. Amen? But Jesus tore the veil so that you can go in and you won't die. You'll have everlasting life. These are precious words to us as the church. And to that end, we should do some faithful doing. Notice the draw near statements that are here. There are five of them. And for sake of time, we'll not reread the passage, but rather look at the five things it says. Let us draw near to God. You couldn't do that before. Let us hold fast or hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. These are things that we must do. Let us. Not like lettuce, like as in the salad, but let us. We collectively together should do these things. Let us consider how we might spur one another on. That word spur means exactly what you think it means. It actually can mean to incite to riot. But it definitely means to goad, to prick, to prod, to poke, to move. Same thing as a cowboy wears spurs so that when he kicks the side of the horse, I'm not saying that I approve, but it is to get them moving. Amen? If you've ever ridden a horse that doesn't want to go anywhere, you aren't going anywhere unless the horse is told to go somewhere. Because the horse is 1,200 pounds and you're maybe, you know, we'll be nice today, 170. <laughs> the horse just looks at you like, what? And so you give it a little kick there with a the spur. What does it do to the horse? It changes his attitude a little bit. We're to spur one another on to good works. We're to kind of poke and prod. Now, don't kick any of your friends with spurs. But get the picture here. You're supposed to be the agent of spurring other people on to good things in Christ. It's like, let's not stand here and argue. Let's not waste our precious days and hours and weeks and months and years on meaningless things. Let's go to each other. The apostle Paul was told by Jesus, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In the King James, I'm using that because I remember it in King James. Why dost thou kick against the goads? Why are you resisting being spurred on? Remember what happened to the Apostle Paul. He fell on his face, blind as it were. And then he got up and got going. Amen? The goads worked. He stopped kicking against them. He did some faithful doing. Let us not give up getting together or meeting together is another way to look at that. And let us encourage one another. These five things. If you focus the rest of your life in Christ on doing these five things, you're going to be plenty busy. You'll be plenty busy. Matter of fact, you can just in it at one. Draw near to God. That will take you your whole life. It will. Getting closer and closer, being more like Jesus is a lifelong endeavor we call sanctification. 
holding on. Anybody experiencing any storms right now in your life? Are you hanging on for dear life? Have you grabbed the rails? Have you taken out the, the sheets, the, the sails? Are you trying to unfurl them in the midst of a hurricane? Are you finding that a little difficult? Hold on. Because the one who is in you is faithful. He will silence the storm eventually. And you will make it to port eventually. You understand? You're going to go through things. Hang on. Hold on. Hold fast. Grab hold. These are things we're supposed to be doing. Now you understand why faith isn't just something you think. It's not just wishful thinking. Can I tell you that I know a lot of people who simply have faith in faith? And they do absolutely nothing. They'll stand and say, well, you know, I, do, I have faith, brother. Well, what's your faith doing, I will ask them. Well, right now my faith is just sitting here. Then that's not real faith. If you have real faith, your real faith is going to get up and get going. You're going to find that that real faith actually works. James actually says as much. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. That's how you're going to know that I'm actually a Christian. You're going to do some spurring. Your faith is going to encourage other people's faith. And notice the characteristics of this type of living. It has to be done with a sincere heart. You can't be half-hearted. You can't be double-minded. It needs to be sincere. It's got to be who you are. You've probably all met people who play Christian, right? They know Christian slogans. They say Christian things. They know a handful of Jesus' statements in the New Testament. Don't judge me, brother. Dude, you're a lying, cheating thief. If that's not judging. That's me looking at the fruit of your life going, that's not of God. You see, we're to spur one another on to good works. Good works are the works that match up with what Scripture says. If you don't have those kind of works in your life, if you're not encouraging those works in other people's lives, you kind of need to check the manual. Don't give up meeting together. You're to have the full assurance that that does something. Notice these four characteristics and how they tie into these five things we should do. You see, you can't do anything unless your conscience is clear. If I didn't believe that my sins were forgiven, these things wouldn't matter. Because I'm never going to draw near to God unless my conscience is clean. Permanently clean. Erased by the blood of the Lamb. My life is no longer my own. One of the great truths of the book of Romans, let us therefore present ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans chapter 12, which is our reasonable service, holy and acceptable unto God. The writer of Hebrews is now shifting to this role of faith that's alive and vibrant and real and does things for the king and for the kingdom. This is not a bunch of people sitting around going, well, I hope Pastor Jeff does it for me. My job is not to do everything for everybody. My job is to actually teach you so that you can do the work of the ministry. 
We're supposed to be in this together. It's not, well, I, I go to church and then I hope the pastors get everything done. Now, it's wonderful that we have a large pastoral staff and we get a lot of things done for the king and for the kingdom, but it's way more than we could ever do. You're part of the team. The church isn't a place you go, it's a thing you are. The church isn't a destination, it's a lifestyle, it's transformation. It's God's transformed people doing transformed things for the king. That's why you have to have a sincere heart in this. You can't be half-hearted. You can't be part in. And you've all met people, I'm sure, like that. It's like they say they're a Christian, but they're a Christian really in name only. They have self-identified. It's kind of like some of the nuts things we've got going on in our culture right now. Well, I'm a woman. Well, you look like a guy. Well, I self-identify. Look, you are what you are. Your genetics would actually prove that. So you can self-identify, and some people self-identify, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you don't look like a Christian. Those words that just came out of your mouth have nothing to do with Jesus. The life that you live doesn't speak of the king. You don't ever go to church. You never pray. You don't open your Bible. You've never done anything for the Lord, but you claim you're a Christian. That's not someone with a sincere heart. That's someone who's playing games with their eternity. Let me be clear. Real Christians really act like real Christians. Now, you may not like what I just said, but it's nonetheless true. It's what the Bible says. A sincere heart. You see, if you've received the grace of God, you can't help but have grace-filled living. If you've been redeemed, you can't help but live a redeemed life. You can't extricate what is to be true of a believer from what you are as a believer. Those two things have to match up. If you declare that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then you live a redeemed life. If you don't, you should ask why. You should question your own salvation. Don't let me do it for you. You question, you see whether you're of the faith. Because my Bible says that if you're a true believer, then you truly do what God wants you to do. That's why Jesus must also be Lord. That's not legalistic. That's what the Bible plainly declares. Live it. Be it. Let us. Church, sometimes we just have to keep moving. Amen? I'm sure you've all been in those situations. I know I have. Where it's like, I just need to keep going. And that's the truth that's in this passage. And if you want to do that, let me give you three things that you can take home. Some keys to holding fast, to hanging on to Jesus. Be transparent. Practice the habit of being transparent because you can hide what's going on in your life. Be transparent with people and definitely be transparent with God. Man, I'm struggling. This storm scares me. You see, because transparent people reach out for help when they need it. If you're trying to hide it, you'll also hide from the help. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Can I tell you that one of the most common problems that I hear from people when they come into my office or going through a difficult time is they isolated themselves from church and other believers. Well, I didn't feel like I could go. I didn't feel like anyone would understand. I I just knew that God was watching me. By the way, God is watching you, and he loves you anyway. Amen? So don't hide from the help. Be transparent. A second thing, take God's word in. I watch Christians, they're, they're, they're anemic spiritually because they do not take in the word of God. And praise God, that's what we're doing right now. But this can't be your only meal. Can any of you last all week without eating? You, you can't do it spiritually either. So don't come once a week and think that's going to be enough. It's good, but it's not enough. Crack open your Bible. Spend five minutes a day just reading the word. Let it dig into your life. Let it change and transform you. Let your mind be renewed with truth. Meditate on it. You don't know what God's promised unless you know what God's promised. Amen? If you don't know the promises of God, you're not going to rest in the promises of God. Meditate on the word of God. And then this one is so important. I probably could have come up with another dozen, but I wanted to give you some that you could just take home with you. Make God your top priority. He shouldn't be the last thing on your list every day. A lot of Christians think they're going to have a vibrant life. They're going to really walk strong with the Lord when the only time they ever talk to God is when they're in trouble. The only time they ever talk about God is when they don't have anything else to talk about except with somebody that they already know is going to think like them. You need to talk to people who don't know Jesus about God. He should be so evident in your life that people think you're weird. Let me say that again. He should be so evident in your life that people think you're weird. You should be out of your mind, exactly what Paul said, out of your mind for the sake of Christ. Amen? That's somebody who's useful. Now, I'm not telling you, don't be, a, you know, don't be one of those crazy people that just is a lunatic. There's a difference between being crazy and being crazy for Jesus. Amen? I hope I didn't offend anybody there, but there, you know people, it's just like, oh, I'm not sure that was actually the Lord. They're just playing kind of not okay. <laughs> but you should be so different. People go, man, why do you think like that? Why do you have political views like that? Why did you vote that way? There's all kinds of things that you could, there are ways for you to talk to people. Well, how come you think that way? You go, well, because my Bible says so. I met with the Lord and I was praying this morning. Instead of, well, you know, I watched the news and they just kind of told me I should vote like this. Persevere. There are evidences of this faith-filled living. And they're very, very, very prominent in our life. And they're very easy to see. You should be causing other people to understand why you are the way you are. And the two most important things that you can be is to love the way Jesus loves. To love the way Jesus loves. How does he love us? 
without thought for himself. That's how God loves you. That's how he loves me. Without thought for himself. No thought of any benefit for himself. That's how Christ loves. That is how we should act first towards believers, and that is how we should act towards people who don't know the Lord. We should be so loving that people look at us and they go, well, why are you like that? Because he first loved me, is your response. Amen? If you love that way, you're going to be so attractive in a world that's filled with hate because you're going to stand out. People are going to look at you, what's wrong with you? No, it's what's right with me. It's what's wrong with the world. It's unloving, it's unjust, it's unkind. It's unfaithful, it's un-everything. We're not supposed to be like the world, we're supposed to be like our king. And the second thing that people can see, they will first see your attitude, your love. But the second thing they will see is the things you do, the things that occupy your time, where you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, your resources, whatever you do, do heartily unto the Lord so that when people see it, they go, that looks like Jesus. I think that's what the Lord would do. We have to encourage each other to live this way, church. And we have to get engaged in the, in the, the place that you can start is by doing what it says here, go to church. Don't forsake gathering together. And by the way, that's not just what we're doing right now. That's also Monday nights with marriage and Tuesday nights with men's and women's, Tuesday morning with women's. That's the bridge retreat. That's all these things. It's gathering together in your home. It's inviting people over and say, hey, let's get together. You know, Christians can actually watch Dodger games together. Just pray over the Dodger dogs and the peanuts. Say, in Jesus' name. No, it's like, why can't we do some of the things the world does but just not do them the way the world does them. Amen? You don't have to be like the world. You can be different than the world. That actually attracts people who are in the world to why, well, how come you guys are not all drunk out of your minds? Well, because we actually love Jesus. Oh. That's what happens. You know what's really crazy? When your friends get into trouble, they're going to come to you. They're going to hunt you down because they saw you go through that and you didn't do what they did. And they're going to want to know why. And you're going to have an answer for them. That's why you get together. You hang out with other believers. You get strengthened up and built up and encouraged. Notice this passage ends with this emphasis really on encouraging one another. Church, don't go it alone. That's so dangerous to try and live in this world without the benefit and the blessing of having brothers and sisters in your life who can lift you up. Isolated Christians are in a bad spot. Don't be one of them. 
Don't make it so that it, it's that difficult for you to do the things that are necessary to do. A lot of Christians set up their whole life to actually work around the things that are most beneficial. Make God a priority. As we get closer to the end, as we draw near to the end of the age of grace, we're going to need each other more and more and more. We're going to have a more powerful voice together than we ever will as individuals. And so let's be what God's called us to be. Let's actually be the church. And finally, we'll end with this, how to be faithfully filled. We'll gather together. Do what we're doing right now, but do it more than just once a week for an hour. Gather together with friends. You're going to see some new things coming at the beginning of the year. One of them is going to be some home fellowships, home Bible studies. We're working on a plan right now for that. So you can gather together in your homes. So you can be the pastor of your home. So you can know what it's like to have a church service right in the middle. Because you know what? We may not always be able to do this. But you can always gather together. You might have to be as a lot of the rest of the world already is. We might be doing church in our basements. I don't know. I can't tell you. Right now we have the blessing of being in this building gathered together. I pray that never goes away. But the church has always flourished under persecution. The more persecuted, the more we should hold fast. Don't try and squeeze church into your schedule. Make church a priority. Amen? No, just, well, you know, i got 15 minutes here. Don't rationalize when you skip it. If you're watching online, praise the Lord for the technology that we have to do virtual church. Praise the Lord for it. Thank Jesus. During this pandemic, it's been difficult. But you know what? Church is open. Get back to church. Come join us. You're going to be okay. And if you can't for medical reasons, that's fine too. But make sure you're gathering together with other believers. You need that. We need that. Forces are going to rise in these last days. They're going to come against the church. And we are only going to stand if we stand together. It's going to be near impossible if we're trying to go it alone. Faith-filled living is always going to be filled with opportunities for fillings of faith, to where you're going to get reinvigorated, revitalized. One of the reasons I so strongly encourage everyone who's in this room and everyone who's watching, you should do some work on the mission field. It will transform your life. You can get out of the, the confines of this wonderful nation that we live in, as messed up as we are in spots. There's no place I'd rather live. You go someplace where it's really hard. We're going down to Nicaragua in February. We're going to finish a church from a pastor who died from COVID. He was in the middle of building his church while he was walking and preaching at two other churches every single Sunday. I didn't walk to church. I drove here in my tundra. I pulled up to a parking space that's paved. We came into this beautiful facility. We want for nothing. 
We don't even know what suffering is to some degree in this country if you really want to put it on a global scale. That's not to say that your problems aren't painful. That's not to say that you haven't experienced some personal suffering. But corporately, together, we have it pretty good. So let's make sure that we honor the Lord by being what he needs in this world. Because he has blessed us and we should bless him. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? If you need prayer after service, prayer room is open and available. And we want to encourage you always to gather together and to be prayed for. But let's live faith-filled lives. It can change the world. It's going to change our community for sure. Already is. But we can change the world. And then maybe that day when the trumpet sounds is going to come just a tad sooner. And I can't wait. Father, we thank you for the promise of heaven. Lord, make us fruitful while we wait. Lord, help us to live faith-filled lives that honor you and point people towards you. Lord Jesus, we declare that you are the way. You alone are the truth and the life. And Lord, we believe that no one comes to the Father but through you. It's what you said, Jesus, so we trust you with that. Help us to be busy, Lord, in these days and times that we live, living lives filled with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.